0: Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your
1: host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Saul Marquez here, and today I have the privilege of hosting Dr. Darren Anderson. He's a director of Med. Darren is a board-certified general internist and has worked in safety net practices for his entire career. He's published articles in several peer-reviewed medical journals, including Health Affairs, the American Journal of Medic- Managed Care, the Journal of Family Practice, and the Journal of General Internal Medicine. Dr. Anderson obtained his undergraduate degree at Harvard College and his medical degree from Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. He's an outstanding contributor to the telehealth space. We've got a lot of things going on right now. Value-based care is one of those things. How do we deliver better on our healthcare dollar? Coronavirus is something that's very live and and, and a concern for many of our provider organizations and communities. And so today we're going to touch on several of those things with Darren and uh, also to learn more about what he and his company are doing to to add value to healthcare. So Dr. Anderson, really appreciate you jumping on to join us today.
0: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate the chance to to talk with you and uh, share some of the work we've been doing with your audience. So uh, thanks a lot for the opportunity.
1: Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about your journey and and what inspired your work in in, in healthcare and in particular your focus on safety net practices.
0: Yeah. Well, my journey really started back in college uh, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and I'll kind of give the short version, but I, I became really inspired by some works that I was reading uh, by, uh, various authors talking about uh, underserved patients and uh, their efforts to try to provide healthcare in safety net practices. And I kind of decided early on that I wanted to chart a career that would uh, allow me to to work in in a medical capacity in the safety net. So I really went through my training with that as a goal. And uh, after med school, did an internal medicine residency training and then went right into the National Health Service Corps where I was assigned to practice uh, in uh, New Britain, Connecticut community health center. And uh, that's how I ended up in Connecticut, which is where I live to this day. And, you know, I started off working full-time as a primary care doctor, taking care of uh, an inner city population with a lot of, a lot of complex problems. Uh, most of my patients spoke Spanish. And I think early on, even in my first year of practice, I, I absolutely loved taking care of patients, but I was so struck, you know, even, even having gone in knowing a little bit about uh, what was going on in, in safety and practice, I was struck by how, inequitable the system was. And you know, healthcare inequality is something that just greets you the minute you walk into an exam room and realize the opportunities that you may have or I may have with private insurance and the opportunities that our patients who have no insurance or perhaps Medicaid insurance don't have. And so sort of started charting a career at that point that took me more into the administrative and the research side of things, looking to try to derive solutions to help reduce health inequality and make sure that patients, regardless of where they were born, what language they spoke, or what insurance they did or didn't have, finding ways to make sure that they got the best quality healthcare that we can provide in the U.S.
1: Well, I think that's uh, that's wonderful, Darren. And you know, as we as we consider the the topic of access and the challenges that surround that social determinants of health, much of which we're tackling, I think, more seriously today in in healthcare. I think that this is a great opportunity for for us to to dive in a little bit deeper on on what you're doing at ComforMed. Tell us what it is that you guys are doing there to add value to the healthcare ecosystem.
0: Yeah. No. So one of the most striking and obvious disparities when you start practicing in in a federally qualified health center a community health center is when you need to send a patient to see a specialist so many uh you may know and your audience may know that there is a network of over 1200 community health centers across the country. They're called federally qualified health centers, but they are independent nonprofit health centers that are run by a board of directors that's majority controlled by patients. And uh, these clinics have been around for decades and really developing a strong, effective primary care infrastructure. They were among the earliest to adopt EHRs. The health center that I worked at has kiosk check-in, integrated behavioral health, many of the things that you would like and expect to see in the, in the, the, the best primary care clinic you could envision but it all comes to a screeching halt when you refer somebody or need to refer somebody out to a specialist. And back in 2012, when we first got the idea for what eventually became Confirmed, my clinic was facing a nine to 12 month wait minimum to get one of our Medicaid patients in to be seen by an orthopedist or a dermatologist. And pretty much all of the specialties had at least some degree of a delay. And this presents a real challenge for the primary care provider. You, you may have a pretty good idea of what you, may, you need to do, but you may not be sure. You may need surgery, you may need a biopsy or a procedure, but in any case, uh, the only way to get you know, answers to your questions or get a patient to have the procedure they need is to refer them into a specialty center. And uh, you know, unfortunately, uninsured patients and, and even those with Medicaid have great difficulty finding specialty care because the simple fact is, Reimbursement rates are relatively low, and many, most specialists, in fact, uh, limit or completely don't accept at all patients without insurance or Medicaid. And so that presented a really substantial challenge to us. And that was the, that was the issue that we sought to address
1: with confirmEdit. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. So it comes from a, from a frustration that you had in your own practice and, and your patients not being able to get the care that they needed. I mean, nine to twelve month wait is is really not acceptable. And so you dove in, you rolled up your sleeves, tell us what ConfirmEd does today that's different than what's available today to to solve on that specialist uh, problem.
0: Yeah, so I think we we tested, I mean, the the process that ultimately became ConfirmEd was designed and tested by by me and my my team of primary care providers and uh, nurses and referral coordinators. And basically what ConfirmEd does Is it allows the primary care provider to confer with a specialist virtually before they refer. And now it's an asynchronous conferring, if you will. So it uh, essentially it allows the primary care provider to send their question and some of the details about the case from the medical record to a specialist, and they can get eyes on that consult question rapidly and in no more than two days. That most of our specialists respond on uh, within the same day. Seventy-seven percent get responded on the same day the question was submitted, and they're able to put eyes on that consult, review the information that we submit, and send back to that primary care provider advice and guidance. So basically what we are is a virtual network of specialists around the country that are on standby, ready to answer questions, and take a first look at all of the consult requests that the primary care providers have in pretty much any specialty. And as we've built out that network and developed the, uh, really the understanding state-by-state state of all the different types of payment environments, all the different types of practices, we continue to see that uh, a substantial percentage of the cases that get submitted to us in most specialties, upwards of 80%, don't need a face to face visit. And it's not because it's an inappropriate consult or the PCP made a mistake, it's simply because the nature of what the primary care provider is asking. The question that they have is one that a specialist can answer by seeing their question, reviewing the data, and sending back an opinion. And so what that does is it makes the system more efficient. It allows those cases that can be maintained and managed in primary care to stay in primary care, and it allows those scarce resources, the face-to-face visits, to be allocated to patients who really need a procedure or hands-on for some reason or another. And that's basically... We mapped all of that out, did a series of studies in Connecticut uh, in our health center to prove that it works and that it was safe. And what Confirm Ed has done is take that concept to scale. And we're now providing that service to over 1.3 million patients across the
1: country. That's fantastic. Congratulations on, on the scaling of it to, to the point you've gotten it thus far, Dr. Anderson. And, and um, you know, thinking through the, the efficiency that this provides, much of what we need in, in healthcare is is the logistics and the efficiency. And, and, and so you've created a nice fast lane to provide the care that's needed. And if 80% don't need that face-to-face visit, then I think that's uh, it's a great solution. So what's the cost then? If somebody, if a specialist is giving you uh, uh, their idea of, or their analysis of, this, of the uh, patient, what's the cost? So the cost is way
0: less than the cost of that specialist and their time and their overhead for seeing the patient face to face. I mean, if you think about it, we batch these; they're in an inbox, and the specialist can review them, you know, in between patients or in the evening, and you know, rattle off a, a significant number of them one after the other. Most e-consult responses take ten minutes. Uh, there's a range, and we have we have some that take sure. fifty minutes, but uh, our average is ten to fifteen minutes. But if you think about it, all they need is a laptop or an iPad or whatever to do that. There's no office cost. There's no check-in, medical assistance, any of the overhead costs that a specialty office has. So the trick though is, uh, you know, so the, the specialist obviously gets reimbursed and we pay our specialist on a per consult basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have some degree of infrastructure and overhead ourselves, but it's substantially more efficient, as you alluded to, than all of the uh, inefficiency that goes into not only the cost of the specialist in their office but if you think about it when you send a patient to for a face-to-face visit many times they're exposed to a copay many times they have to take some time off from work they have to travel they have to go to the specialty office Uh, often when they get there there's additional information the specialist needs so they get sent for tests and procedures they have to come back so you know there's a whole cascade of events that follow the the request for a face-to-face referral that are no that that are no longer needed when you can bypass that system for a significant percentage of your consults.
1: Love it. Yeah, no, the, the savings, you guys would have to connect with Darren to find out more about that. But I mean, the reality is beyond the line item cost of seeing the specialist it's, it's everything around seeing that specialist canceling, not showing up, the wait times. And so the efficiency play here is between specialists and primary care providers Love that you guys are focused there. What would you say is an example of of how you guys have have improved outcomes or or made business better?
0: So, before there was a ConfirmEd, we actually here in Connecticut at the Health Center set up uh, a randomized control trial. We partnered with the University of Connecticut uh, and with our state Medicaid department so that we could get good solid outcomes before, you know, we weren't at that point even envisioning, you know, any. A company like Confirmed, and we've published a series of now five different papers, all from from a variety of, of different aspects of that study. But they they all have essentially built on the same story that uh, when you keep when you get primary care providers and patients an answer to the question, or get the clinic the process started, uh, that a whole series of positive things happen from a clinical and a financial standpoint. And I like to say we started off trying to solve an access issue, and our first paper basically showed that when you implement e-consults, you you get treatment in place much more rapidly. The second thing it showed though, is that when you do that, the patients who had access to e-consults had fewer emergency room visits. So we already got a sense that we were getting treatment in place or providing reassurance that meant the patients didn't bypass the system and go to the ER. Uh, from a clinical perspective, uh, the, the, the impact is substantial in that I mean, the second study that we did on dermatology showed that 80% of the patients or more that we were sending to a dermatologist to have their rash or their potential melanoma evaluated, never got seen at all. And whereas with eConsult, we were able to get the
1: dermatologist
0: looking at that rash in no more than two days. So, uh, you know, each, special digitally different sorry
1: were they able to look at it uh through technology or or live in the office
0: yes absolutely they're able to look at it so we what we do is we um we send images pictures so got it got it in a dermatology case and that's sometimes the easiest sort of example for of how we consults work for sure no that's wonderful and 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 then just and if i could just pick up on the latter part of your questions the financial and what we found like I said, we started off trying to solve an access issue. And what we ultimately found was that, gee, in addition to improving access for safety net, we were having a significant impact on the bottom line. The first study that we did showed that on an average, patients were saving $500. system was saving $500 per consult when we did an e-consult for cardiology. We followed that up with a larger study that was in health affairs that showed it equated to approximately $80 per member per month in savings for just four main specialties. So what they showed is really important, though. It, the savings does not simply come from preventing an unnecessary individual face, face-to-face visit. The savings comes from all of the downstream costs that tend to occur when you send someone into the specialty system, tests, procedures, follow-up visits, expensive pharmaceuticals, things like that. And so what's changed in, in our business model has uh our our business has benefited from this. As the health system is moving towards advanced payment models, we have at least a part of a solution for the primary care practice that's looking to take advantage of value-based care and shared savings because our tool gives them the ability to decrease costs from one of the most expensive things that you do in primary care, which is send patients into specialists.
1: Yeah, I think that speaks volumes to be able to to avoid those downstream costs. And even taking a look at, at Something so specialized as like understanding what the coronavirus is, right? I mean, somebody shows up to the hospital. How do you guys work with that? And give me some thoughts around this thing that we're dealing with.
0: Yeah, I think a telehealth platform like this, the best thing about a system like this is it's scalable. Because of the fact that it's not live and it's not, you know, a specialist on one end talking to a patient on the other, we can scale this much more rapidly. We already have thousands, you know, tens of thousands of primary care providers out on the front lines seeing patients every day, and we already know from what we're seeing, starting to have questions about cases. You know, should I send this patient to home isolation? Does this need a coronavirus test? All these basic questions, this this public health crisis is is presenting us with a real challenge in that it's the frontline primary care practices that are going to be on the frontline seeing the cases. And what the platform, what something like an e-consult allows you to do is quickly get answers to your questions back from a specialist if you need guidance and we've actually just before talking with you was in a uh, really a planning meeting with our team gearing up for what we expect to be a significant increase in questions to our infectious disease specialists and we've already seen some hints of this it's not even always questions about a specific patient there's basic questions about infection control what should my telephone protocol be how if, if a patient calls and they're coughing should I tell them to come in, or what should, um, how should I handle that situation? So we've actually been building capacity to not only provide clinical advice from a specialist, but really infection control device, um, uh, advice, operational advice on how to handle your telephone system and things like that. So, It really just demonstrates there's a real need across the country and practices for advice and expertise on a wide range of topics. And unfortunately, you know, coronavirus has presented us with um, a unique challenge that really needs to, we need to be able to gear up quickly to address it.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, it's uh, it's fascinating, and you guys are providing some great solutions for for what's happening right now. So big kudos to you and 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 your team, Dr. Anderson, and and you know, a lot of what's still happening out there is still fee for service. So you know, one of the things that that goes through skeptical minds, maybe listening to this, is well if you're reducing my specialist visits then my overall revenue goes down as a provider organization who are you targeting this toward is it employers is it is it or or is that skepticism not real like i would love to hear your thoughts around some of that
0: yeah, I think that's a great question, and the answer varies, you know, state by state and payment model by payment model. And it's been we, we've had a fascinating tutorial in all the ins and outs and uh, all the details of advanced payment models and the way they're evolving. So I think, you know, in a straight up fee-for-service model, the payer benefits. And so our very first contracts were with large commercial payers that uh, reimbursed us and continue to reimburse us directly for e-consults. And since you know, they're fully at risk, they're paying a fee-for-service reimbursement for every specialty care visit, they reap the benefits and they are the ones that reimburse us. So in that kind of a scenario, I think we probably are somewhat of a threat to you know, a hospital system uh, or a specialist who's doing procedures. Uh, and I've, I've, you know in, in a candid moment, I've had specialists tell me, we don't want to reduce the number of patients coming to see us because we want to hire more staff and build out our team. So In that one scenario, I think that probably is the one sort of group or or, or stakeholder for whom doing something like this is a threat. But what's changing rapidly is that as our health system aligns around accountable care, as we implement more value-based reimbursement models, shared savings, full capitation, those concerns are less. And when you align healthcare providers and practices around total cost of care, something like this becomes a no-brainer in that, you know, we we are spending money more wisely and saving it where we can and really strengthening the primary care infrastructure and making the system work more efficiently. And
1: so when, you know, when the total cost of care is what we care about, this is kind of a no-brainer. I totally agree with you, Darren. And I just, I wanted to go there because it's the reality, right? And that one silo of many that exist on our healthcare economy, but it's a a great perspective that you've given us, but also there's another angle to it, right? I mean, as a provider organization, you've got to think about, I mean, these patients are waiting nine to 12 months. Why? And that's because you're not doing it right. So Darren and team have a model where you could also help a broader part of the community that's currently not getting that help that you need, and these folks are going to end up in your ER anyway. So, some fascinating models coming up here, Darren. I love, I love what you and your team have created. Obviously, it hasn't always worked, and uh, it was a process at one point, as you, as you mentioned. Tell me, maybe one of the setbacks you guys have had, and one of the key learnings that's come out of that setback.
0: I think our our biggest setbacks have occurred when, uh, for whatever reason, we haven't had the buy-in of the frontline providers. And it kind of alludes to what we were just talking about. Most primary care providers are still in a fee-for-service mindset, Mm -hmm. even if their health system that they're a part of is moving towards value-based care. On the front lines of primary care, we haven't seen a lot of evidence that that has really trickled down into change in behaviors. So many providers, not many, but sometimes when we go into a practice without really exploring this and really working with our primary care providers to help them understand what we're doing and and what the benefits are, not only to the system and to cost, but more importantly to their patients and how it improves patient experience, we aren't always, you know, welcomed with open arms. And so we've had a couple of early cases where we thought we could... Just kind of make this happen administratively. You know, the medical director is in favor of it. We'll make it automatic and uh the provider, it'll just happen. And you know what we've learned is that uh you know healthcare is personal, it is between a patient and a provider, and your primary care provider, and I'm one of them, obviously needs to be on board, needs to be part of the planning, and uh needs to have an active role in you know wanting to make this work. And so we've actually built the whole company around the principle of engaging our primary care providers and their staff on the front lines to not present them with a canned solution for how to make this work, but actually how to design a workflow that supports them, that makes it not more work, but actually makes it less work for them. Mm-hmm. And fortunately and unfortunately, that takes a lot of work. And so we've actually invested a lot on Confer- with ConfirmEd on a ground team, that an implementation team that, that really works individually, one-on-one with each practice to map out what they do and make it as easy as possible for them. And if you don't do that, you you know, you'll have a great system that nobody uses. And I think that's happened a lot with telehealth in the past. And so because our company is staffed with you know, primary care people who, who do this for a living and have done it before on the front lines, I think that's been our, our philosophy. And I think it's led to our, our success over the last several years.
1: What a great perspective there, Dr. Anderson. Who wants a great system that nobody uses? <laughs> I think the answer is clear for all of us. So let's take the other side of the table on that one employers talk about incredible value to somebody that is self-insured paying for these visits can you talk to how employers are benefiting from this
0: yeah i think you know if you look at all of the various stakeholders that are you know involved in the whole healthcare scene from the patient to the primary care practice the health system the hospital the payer and the employer i think the employer you know potentially is the one that will most want this and drive uptake and utilization because as you as you alluded to, the employer is ultimately paying the bill. And I know from our own company that the cost continues to go up and uh, we are becoming increasingly desperate for ways to stop it from going up or at least reduce the amount that it's going up. So I think employers ultimately are the most, I guess, the, the group of the, the stakeholder, if, if you will, that is most uh, likely to support and want to get access to e consults. And I think we're starting now to see a move. Our, our, we're very much a mission driven organization that has focused on homeless shelters, migrant clinician, farm worker clinics, federally qualified health centers. But we are increasingly seeing demand from commercial, private practices, commercial payers, and are, are moving into that space. Because even if you don't have a nine month wait, Even if you have a dermatologist or a cardiologist right up the street who can see you next week, that's still not the most efficient way to get the care that you need. And so uh, employers are starting to see that. And uh, a lot of our efforts now are focused on translating what we've learned in the safety net and making it acceptable and as as effective uh, in in that commercial
1: environment where I think payment reform is moving a little bit more rapidly. So uh, employers are leading that charge. Yeah, that's I'll tell you, it it is an incredible opportunity because that line item of healthcare continues to go up and the value for the healthcare dollar is not there. So if you're an employer listening to this, this is a fantastic opportunity for you to gut check some of the things that you have going on. The website is confermed.com and even as a payer, right, if you haven't heard of this, an opportunity for you to start looking at ways to add value to your the lives that you cover, but also uh, start limiting the, the waste that's uh, happening. What are you most excited about today, Darren?
0: Well, I'm not going to say coronavirus because it's
1: certainly <laughs> not the topic any of us
0: were hoping to deal with. We're, we're excited that we're able to help. Absolutely. Uh, He actually, one of our infectious disease specialists who works for Confirmed, I brought him into our, we have a production studio here in Connecticut, and we actually did a live video session with him and several of our other staff. And we just opened up the video conference lines to practices all over the country. And we only had three days to turn this around, and we had over a thousand people sign up to participate. And they were sending questions directly in by video chat using Zoom, the same platform we're on today. Mm -hmm. And we just got a sense for just how much of a need there was for this and how much you could do with a scalable platform. So I'm excited that there is an opportunity now to deal with this epidemic different from the way we dealt with epidemics, you know, like anthrax and the H1N1 in the past where we didn't have platforms like this. So it gives me a glimmer of hope that, you know, not that any of us want coronavirus, but that by connecting ourselves in different ways using simple scalable technology, we can tackle, you know, the challenges of the future in a different way than we did in the past.
1: I think that's great and and you know it's a testament to the work that you guys are doing having this type of traction for a platform and uh, a process that you guys have established I mean it's uh, adding a lot of value so congratulations on being able to to get it this far and it's exciting to think about where it's it's heading in the future what would you say is is your is your favorite book Darren so
0: that's an easy question for me cuz it's it's a book that I read in college and it's right around the time that I was going through this sort of crisis of what am I going to do with my life? And uh, it's Moby Dick uh, by Herman Melville. Oh yeah. I've read it several times and
1: uh, continues to be uh, absolutely my, my top favorite book of all time. It's a br- it's a pretty dense one. It's, it's thick, right? It's a, it's a, it's a big book. Yeah. It, uh, what, it absolutely is. what do you, what, what, what's your main takeaway? Why, why do you keep going to it?
0: Well, the less deep reason is uh, I love the sea. Uh, I'm, from the Northeast, the book is obviously set out of uh, out of Nantucket, and I, I love books about boats and sailing. Uh, wow. But I think that, you know the, the, the deeper reason is to me. I think you know the book represents the the intense struggle between good and evil, the struggle of you know a flawed character who has you know this unbelievably crushing weight on his back, and sort of watching how that plays out. I like I like dark stories. I obviously I don't identify with uh, with with Ahab, but I love watching the way. Melville describes the, you know, his, his becoming totally consumed by this, you know, what the white whale represents and sort of mm. see how that plays out. And I love the interplay between the narrator, Ishmael, and Ahab have and in the boat and I just and, and I love the language and, and the way Melville writes so lots of things about it I could talk all day about it but
1: <laughs> that's for cool. another podcast maybe <laughs> that's right that's right we'll save up for part two listeners <laughs> we'll dive deeper into into Moby Dick uh, but it, it, fascinating thanks for that background I mean it definitely is uh, it, is a very interesting book great reasons to like it and and so as we get to the end of this, Folks, you know where to go, outcomesrocket.health. In the search bar, type in ConfirmEd, that's C O N F E R M E D, or just go to ConfirmEd.com and uh, find out more. But uh, Darren, I'd love if you could just leave us with a closing thought. And then the best place where the listeners could get in touch with you to continue the conversation.
0: Yeah. So my, my closing thought is I'm going to tell a very brief story. My son, he's now in college, but when we first started doing um, Confirmed, I would drive him to school and uh, he always liked to ask a little bit about what I do for a job. And I remember telling him, I have this really cool new thing where we started this company called Confirmed and I explained what we do. Primary care provider submits a question and the specialist can answer it. And he looked at me and he said, dad that's just email. So then I said, yeah, but I have this really <laughs> cool thing where we have an app and you can, you can take a picture of a rash. And because it's a patient, you can't save that because it's protective health information. And so as soon as the picture is taken, the, the, the picture uh, disappears off your phone. And then we submit it to a specialist. And he said, dad, that's Snapchat. <laughs> and so it, it made me realize that what we're doing with eConsult is unbelievably simple. We're allowing a primary care provider to communicate quickly using a simple technology with a specialist about a case. And the specialist is able to help give them guidance on the best and most efficient way to take care of it. The only thing complicated about this whole scenario is the healthcare system and that we've built in this country and around, in, in around the world, but in particular in this country with, you know, who pays for it and does it cost me money or save me money? This is common sense, and so the the complexity that we've been gradually unraveling is figuring out how to make common sense easy to implement. And unfortunately in healthcare, there isn't too much common sense when it comes to things like this. And so that's what we've been doing, and I think we've we've starting to really, with value-based care, unravel that complexity and make doing something simple and obvious the right thing to do and the best thing to do for the system as well.
1: So I'll leave you with that uh, little anecdote. I love that story. Dr. Anderson, and you know, one of my favorite quotes is, "The only thing stronger than all the armies in the world is the right idea that has come at the right time." And I think today is the right time for these types of solutions. And it's super exciting to hear your story, to better understand the the value that you're adding to the ecosystem, which is huge. And uh, I'm really excited to see where where this goes for you here in the next few years. So, really appreciate you jumping on with us today, Darren, and uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Saul, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, my email is darren,
0: D-A-R-E-N, at confermed.com. You had asked about that before. So.
1: Ah, thanks for, thanks for throwing that in there. I, I uh, appreciate you doing that. So, folks, there you have it. You have Dr. Anderson's email, darren at confermed.com. We'll also include that in the show notes, but get in touch. It's a great opportunity. Darren, thanks again. Saul, oh, thank you. Bye-bye.